Hello and welcome to the Health Excel podcast with me Chandana and Martin from Dublin. So today we're actually sitting in the Health Excel offices in Dublin, which has not been the case for all our past podcasts. And with us we have a guest who's flown in all the way from Mumbai, India, Abhishek, who's the CEO of Wealthy Therapeutics. Welcome Abhishek. Hey, thanks Chandana. Thanks for be for for having me over. Delighted uh, to have you. Yeah, and it's uh it's a few thousand miles for one <laughs> podcast. I mean, before we even get started, I feel like we have to talk about visa shenanigans, right? Like, and we were literally talking Brexit, about this oh my God, a second yeah, ago. Yeah. So you basically, so Abhishek had to come from Mumbai to Dublin, but the Irish visa process is really long and protracted. So he decided to go into the UK, but you can't transit. So you had to like enter the city of London and then come back out. Tell us about this enjoyment. <laughs> Oh, it's an incredible experience, uh, you know, for uh, for uh, countries that haven't caught up. It's it's an incredibly painful process. But uh, the good part is uh, the cup half full is you get business done both ways in London. The bad part is that you can he- head your direct. So whichever way you go, I had to give business to British Airways. So <laughs> that go. was uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's great to have you in town, and you're going to be speaking tomorrow as well. So we're delighted about that. So you grew up. Your mom and dad were both entrepreneurs. Yeah. No, it was uh, it's uh, it's a crazy family. Uh, both are healthcare entrepreneurs. Uh, mom runs a medical consumables business. Dad runs a pharmaceutical business. So before I started this, and I was a venture capitalist for five years, I was the black sheep of the family because a I'm not an entrepreneur. B I am not an entrepreneur. C I'm not an entrepreneur. <laughs> and uh, doesn't matter that it's a v- I'm a VC. Doesn't matter that I'm investing in entrepreneurs. Doesn't matter that I'm less than thirty and I have a dream job. I'm not an entrepreneur, okay, so okay. Uh, the, yeah, no pressure there. But you're being it's, a bit hard, you're being a bit hard on yourself, right? Because you 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 followed them into their you helped them in their business. Yeah, right? yeah. So, so maybe let's go rewind a little bit. I to think that. so, and it's a very unique problem to have, I must say, Abhishek, because. Your problem was not you're not a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer, but you are an engineer. Yeah. So I think you take that box. So maybe you want to go back to your college and tell us how you trained and what brought you back to Mumbai, because. That's the part we don't know about you. Yeah, sure. Um, so, left Mumbai to pursue my undergrad in um, chemical and biomolecular engineering. Of all the thousand degrees, I had only one option because uh, that was what my uh, dad set a condition for. Yeah, doesn't matter what your aspirations are. You're coming back an engineer. Or you're you're not going <laughs> yeah, at all. Um, so, uh, so did that. Take that box. Yeah. Um, came back, joined the businesses, um, enjoyed it. Thought that life as an entrepreneur was incredible. Didn't realize that that's there's a caveat to that. It's called being a second generation entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Did that for a bit. Then joined the um, you know churn, turned over. Um, went through a Cycle did my MBA, got a job, eventually became a venture capitalist, started investing in anything except healthcare. I want to brakes on a little bit. You've, you've jumped over a whole load. <laughs> yeah. right. so, so tell us a little bit about what you learned when you were when you come out of you started working with your with your dad. Tell us a little bit about what kind of what you learned. Uh, so uh, I guess uh, business is 1.0, um, and I'm not going to call 1.0 and 2.0 from a tech and non-tech. Yeah. Just uh, from a, from a mindset, right? So uh, just when you when you have small to mid-sized businesses, um, it's 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 normally structured around the entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So that whole de-risking, uh, you know, one single person in the company doesn't even occur as a standpoint, right? So. 
uh, it takes a different mindset to build a leadership team to last, uh, to incentivize them, to build a culture which fosters that. Right? And, um, and I had very different styles. Uh, you know, my dad was all about centralizing the entire business around him. Mom was all about decentralization. So learn two extremes. There was only arguments on the dinner table. By the way, every dinner table is a boardroom discussion. Uh, Not fun. Yeah, and, and, and you get a, I've had different flavors, right? Um, you know, when you're, when you're in the business, but you know the blood, sweat, sweat and tears has been your parents, um, it's very different where you, you know and they know that they have the final say and authority and you yes. just, you yeah. don't have anything and yeah. you're yeah. just lucky to be in the room. Right. Uh, to, uh, to, you know, lots of healthy and very unhealthy arguments with parents. And then you get to a point where you realize that there's a lot to learn. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes you need to be disconnected from the problem to learn in the first place. So yeah. pursued that learning elsewhere, took a one-year vacation, let's call it an MBA. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, uh, after that, uh, you know, switch gears, became yeah. a VC eventually okay. uh, and enjoyed that. Enjoyed yeah. um, uh, learning, um, you know, from the outside in yeah. what it is to build a business ground up, what, it, what, what failure looks like. Because yeah. until yeah. that point, you'd never learn probably the most important part of learning, like failure. Yeah. Um, I was really fortunate to uh, meet incredible entrepreneurs, understand the difference or not understand, it. begin to understand the difference between what an A and A plus quality entrepreneurial team is, mm-hmm. and um, and you know different ways to think through the same problem. And empathy uh, was was a new one because you you just you don't you don't they didn't really teach you that in the MBA. Yeah, <laughs> they don't teach you that anywhere. Like yeah. and and, um, and you know when in your own businesses you're brutal. Uh, as I as I am, as every entrepreneur needs to be. Yeah. But when you step back, when you see it from an investing point of view, mm-hmm. uh, you realize that there is a thing called empathy because there's so many entrepreneurs that are doing everything right, just have caught the wrong wave, have yeah. found the wrong team, have structured the you know the business in the, in an incorrect way, made one mistake and it cost yeah. them the company. Uh, and you realize how important it is to learn from failure. Mm-hmm. And I got the incredible opportunity to to learn from hundreds of entrepreneurs yeah. uh, before I started. That doesn't mean that you figured out success, that just figured out, you figured out 500 ways how not to do Not it. to do something. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. And you, you, you ended up in VC, you had a, a step between your MBA and, and going into venture capital, right? And maybe just talk a little bit about that because I, you know, so many people are interested, how do you get into venture capital? Yeah. And, you know, it's a very small universe, very exclusive jobs. So how did you make the transition? Into so that? my transition, to be honest, I owe a lot to, to my ex-boss, right? So um, uh, straight out of uh, MBA, I was never going to get a job. I was always going to go back to the family businesses. And um, it really, this, the same guy who told me to go to do an MBA um, as a vacation in the first place was the same guy who ended up advising me that, you know, in case you ever do um, decide to take a job, and it's if, do a job as a right-hand man to a founder. Okay. Somebody yeah. who has uh, built a business to a stage that you believe is incredible so that you learn um, if, if your aspirations are one day to build a business of, of a similar size, right? Yeah. And that was an intriguing problem because those job descriptions don't come to B-School. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not finding that campus, that right. on campus. So when searching and and was really fortunate through networks to get in front of incredible entrepreneurs, a lot of them billionaires who had in their own right built first generation uh, businesses, um, started with a bunch of pharma, a bunch of healthcare, uh, but intersected minds with an incredible entrepreneur uh, in, in media and entertainment who mm. had 
uh, built a business which he believed had a lot of room to grow and I believed was an, an incredible as inspiration and joined him he'd uh, you know never had a EA before I'd never had a job before so it <laughs> <a little> <laughs> yeah uh, and and I had a roller coaster ride um, in that journey uh, learned a lot I uh, was thrown into I was only thrown into problems I was never thrown into opportunities right? Right. So <laughs> firefighting 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 it's incredible because yeah. you learn and and there's no there's no you know boss to to go back to because that boss is ruthless um, right. and you you break glass ceilings over your head that never knew existed uh, because you have no way to come back and say, hey, I can't fix this problem, can you? Because the buck stops with you. And that's the reason you're hired in the first place. And right. I didn't know a damn thing about the media and entertainment business. So that was an incredible ride. Mm -hmm. And in that journey, um, got exposed to uh, this entire digital universe of games, of applications, of of uh, digital business um, revenue building, because yeah. uh, uh, those were a lot of the portfolio that that sort of I had access to. That's what I learned that there is this thing called uh, venture capital, angel investing, where actually people fund ideas in early stage businesses which don't have a whiff of a revenue model, but over a period of time you figure mm -hmm. it out. That got me really intrigued and started uh, attending all these events, started um, you know meeting the investors of the teams that we were evaluating, and then that got you know one thing led to another and started getting exposed to the VC space. So while I was independently had my aspirations to be a VC, um, you know, we also had the opportunity to sell uh, the business that my my then ex boss had built, and post that um, and was sold to Disney. Right? That was sold to yeah, Disney. Yeah. Yeah. And during that journey, um, you know, you don't um, you don't one fine day put in your papers with that kind of an individual. You give them fair warning. So yeah, yeah, as you had those conversations, you know, uh, another opportunity came that as uh, that business, uh, you know, if it were to go through a successful exit, then. Uh, the, the the family office would would want to be built or to be extended into early stage venture investing as well, okay. and I had the opportunity to stick along with a boss who I admired, who I was learning things from every day, every week, every hour, and um, get to build or learn how to be a VC. Uh, so one thing led to another, and um, yeah. you know that that journey with him lasted five years. He was my first and only boss that I've had outside <laughs> of my own businesses. Mm. Uh, and I would recommend it to anyone that just you got really lucky as well that lucky. you found this person yeah. who pretty much carved like your path for you. Not that you didn't do anything, mm -hmm. not to take away anything. It's also interesting. So, I mean, both of you have the same. So Martin and Abhishek have the same sort of VC to entrepreneur mm -hmm. journey, right? Mm -hmm. Did all of that kind of resonate with you as well? Or a lot of it? Yeah, probably a little bit different for me in that, uh, you know, I got out of the family business like you. I went into work for corporates. You know, I thought, <laughs> oh, my God, I don't want to do anything. These early stage companies are a disaster. Where did, where did you even call entrepreneurs then, right? You know, small business owners. And uh, ended up in venture capital just kind of in the right place at the right time with IBM. And absolutely loved it. But also found it a little bit frustrating because you're not driving the car. Yeah. You know, and so a lot of time... You're trying to advise people, and um, you know, and it's a real skill to be able to kind of sit in the passenger seat. I heard one describe it as sit in the passenger seat while you accelerate towards the wall <laughs> and try to gently coax the entrepreneur to go the other way, yeah, you know, yeah. without grabbing the wheel. So, um, so it's a fascinating thing. But I, I think then it's really interesting because you you made the same transition then to say, okay, well, I want to go and want to build a business. But that's the to be honest, that's where I do relate with what with what you're saying because that was when given feedback right on yeah. on where you can improve the the one area where i needed a lot of improvement was i was you know 
I, I was too invested in the businesses which we had invested in. Right. Um, and that for me was like, hold on, uh, you know, that's uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But as a VC, I totally get it. Yeah. Um, and uh, empathy keeps coming back because I only now can I understand how it feels to be a first generation entrepreneur because um, because my boss had done it a couple of times over. That empathy that he had with our our founders was was another level, and uh, it was always something that I admired, but also something that I understood was a gap in me. Mm. And we realized that empathy came because you've gone through that journey, and right. I had never gone through yeah. it. Right, so right. while I had product market fit, if you will, from a job perspective, yeah. it was exactly that. I was not driving the car. Right. And at that point, I didn't know which car I wanted to drive, yes. where I wanted to go. I just knew that I want to not be in the passenger seat anymore. Yeah. Right, right. Um, not because of any you know any of the negative things yeah. but all the positive things that yeah. came with sort of uh, you know uh, carving your own path mm. um, so so how did wealthy therapeutics mm. come from this right because mm. you were not even in the healthcare uh, sector at all and it's really interesting you say empathy because while you are talking about empathizing with other entrepreneurs i also see what you've built there um, is a solution that basically also depends heavily on empathy to understand the journey of someone living with chronic disease, right? And this was at the time when I don't think people, the industry didn't know what a digital therapeutic is. And that's when you built Wealthy. I'd love for you to talk a bit about how this came into being. Um, and then we can talk more about what Wealthy do and why we should be aware of them. Sure. So yeah, um, um, when I left that that job, I actually um, needed that soft landing. I was I was cognizant enough to know that I loved what I did. That you know, a switch is hard. I just didn't know how hard. Yeah. So joined another um, uh, fund, uh, VC fund, but as an entrepreneur in residence, uh, mm-hmm. where went through a bunch of ideas within the safe haven of a, of a VC fund. Um, got to you know have incredible people to bounce ideas off, and more importantly, to poke holes, um, gaping holes most of the time in the in the ideas that were being formed. And uh, in that journey, um, you know. Uh, Healthcare just intersected back, and this time around, uh, everything that I learned in the media and entertainment business came back because in in media and entertainment, what I understood for the first time is how do you create emotion from something that has no physical uh, experience or physical uh, touch Form. and feel whatsoever, yeah. mm-hmm. what, whatsoever, right? Motion pictures, uh, TV shows, gaming, so on and so forth. And um, in that journey of intersecting that with a problem I wanted to solve, like all things, you sort of have a personal touch to it. Um, So not just myself, but even the founding team, uh, we all have family members who suffer with illnesses. But uh, in my case, I guess, because it it drove the point home, is I had two healthcare entrepreneurs who both were cardiovascular patients. One got diagnosed with prediabetes, one later got diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And it it was funny because they had no reason to get there and then they had no reason to get from half a pill to one pill a day to two pills a day to three pills a day because access affordability convenience uh you know was not an issue for them it's just a non-issue and then you see behavior coming into play yeah and you can also see that whenever you're having a conversation with your parents at least in my case they weren't able to relate to me as somebody who wanted to help them change their behavior versus it was the naggy yeah. uh, son who, oh, oh my God, for the 20th time has come <laughs> and told me to do something about my diet, my health, my yeah. activity, my yeah. meditation, my whatever. 
And you realize two things. One, uh, every individual needs that empathy. Uh, but more specifically, that empathy may not be something that a family member or somebody close today can bring to the table. Um, and uh, that when intersected with uh, the geek in me and all my team, where we went back to PubMed and, and, and clinical research and saw that, hold on, there's a case for this. And for the last two or three decades, there's been incredible movement in the offline face-to-face -face world where counseling, behavior change, um, showing um, a, a data loop back to patients has actually helped to improve not just health in a, in a, in a short time period, but also longitudinally over one year, five years, 10 years. And you see that there's a problem that can be solved. And yeah. um, as is with everything, uh, uh, Asia emerging markets uh, doesn't operate the same way in which uh, yeah. you know mm -hmm. other parts of the world do. So went into it to build a solution that was meant for that part of the world. And uh, one thing led to another, Wealthy was born. And Wealthy was born from one therapeutic area, type two diabetes. Now we're in, in several, but at that point in time, it was back to basics. You know, how do you first see if you can solve a problem? So don't overinvest in tech. These are some of the things that you learn, right? How do you build an MVP? And you know, uh, if tech is already there, yeah. then focus on yeah. building the solution first. Maybe right. talk a bit about that, because I know you ran your pilot on WhatsApp, which yeah. is really interesting because yeah. such a simple solution, right? Like you said, it exists. So can you talk a bit about what did you deliver through WhatsApp and what sort of engagement did you see? There's probably a lot for us to learn from this uh, for lots of others who are listening in as well. Yeah, uh, to be honest, uh, it was about identifying what what risk we wanted to de-risk first. So this is back to training as a VC, right? As a VC, you're always evaluating a business and then breaking it down into key risks and which risks you need de-risk before you would invest. Mm -hmm. And then what risks you would uh, solve during, or the team would solve during the time period in which your capital would be utilized so that the, either the next round or the acquirer uh, would be able to get a much more de-risked business to then either invest into yeah. or acquire, right? Yeah. So that same fundamental philosophy. So at that point, the risk wasn't whether or not a digital therapeutic, which I didn't know a term existed at that point, but uh, uh, whether a, uh, a, a technology platform suite which had an app and, and had a backend need, could be built. We knew it could be built. It was more a function of could you um, make it work in this part of the world? Because right. the key risk at that point wasn't that uh, science hadn't shown this was possible. It was science mm -hmm. had never shown it was possible in this part of the world. Oh, and then, uh, What do you mean by that? Uh, there was no uh, established digital intervention that had already paved the way. Like in 2015, yeah. Omada had paved the way, WellDoc had paved the way, right. and a few others had already paved the way in the West that this was possible. Yeah. And it was more a function of making it better. There was also the DPP program, there was a look ahead. Yeah. None of those things really existed in emerging markets, right? So you were starting from scratch. So my fundamental problem or our team's fundamental hypothesis was that let's not go about trying to solve the tech part that's right. easy. Right. Let's, or not easy, but solvable. Let's go and solve for whether or not this can actually work. So that meant if you could not build your own customized solution, but you could take something was already out there mm -hmm. and then actually focus on delivering behavior change through that means, which meant like at that point, WhatsApp didn't have the ability for voice notes, it didn't have the ability for video, it didn't have all those things that it had today, it just basically had, you know, the, the bells and whistles, which 2015 WhatsApp had. Yeah. Uh, the good part of it, it had double-sided encryption, which solved for a lot of other issues. Uh, but uh, could you just take that simple uh, sort of uh, concept and then get uh, physicians to give consent? 
give physicians to give uh, get patients on board. Uh, find a way in which you, through virtual means, could uh, identify which patients made sense and which didn't. Yeah. Had a third party which could validate through HbA1c's because we're solving for type 2 diabetes at that point, uh, whether or not somebody needed an intervention, at least from an A1c primary outcome perspective. And then go through a journey where you use that communication channel exclusively, right. along with, if at all, episodic uh, virtual this phone calls to be able to take them through a structured journey. That structured journey effectively meant not cheating. Cheating meant uh, don't go off script. Um, Pre-script it and then ensure that while you you use a human to copy-paste it, but otherwise you're effectively trying to replicate what you would do in a a real-world setting with your own platform. So you were just sending them messages on WhatsApp, but But it was this program. In a conversational UI. Because that fundamental hypothesis was that um, uh, Emerging Markets Asia is all about conversational UI. A chat or voice, it didn't matter, it's conversation. Of course, Um, as we've seen with even China for, for that matter. So what did you find from this pilot? That um, there was a huge need, that um, engagement blew our everyone's expectations, that um, um, physicians were not as averse to it that, than you would think, yeah. um, and that um, at the end of the day, um, the challenge actually isn't about the outcomes, it's about um, scale um, and scaling outcomes, let me put it that way. Because uh, personalization was a key to that journey. Uh, because even within our small subset then of less than 50 patients, it was fundamentally clear that one size cannot fit all. So how do you build and structure a digital therapeutic that by definition will never be the same for one individual or for two different individuals? Right? That was one big learning that came yeah. out of that. And uh, outside of that, um, Uh, The other thing, which was uh, in hindsight something we should have listened to more closely, was um, uh, comorbidities need to be designed for from the start. Uh, And that's something which we didn't in 1.0 version of our product even take into account Mm. that it doesn't matter. You have to design for the patient, not for the condition. Um, I'm I'm not even surprised that the WhatsApp pilot was a huge success, right? Because from my work in emerging markets, what I have realized is that physicians are super active on WhatsApp. They in fact have like groups of like Mm -hmm. anesthesiologists and diabetologists, and they actually swap around information and get like second opinions and just consult one another. So I can see how that medium actually worked really seamlessly for you. Yeah, it didn't work for the physicians though, because they don't want to be um, um, disturbed on WhatsApp. But Fair for enough. patients, it worked. Fair enough. Interesting. Okay. Un- yeah, 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 unless it benefited them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, no, that, yeah. that's I a mean, bad way to look at it. To be honest, physicians are in, in, in emerging markets are overworked. Of course, it's yeah. Incredible. The amount of effort that they and put the in. And hours, yeah. yeah. It's crazy. There's always a waiting room outside. Yeah. Of course. And you mentioned earlier when we were speaking about the leapfrogging, you know, the... If you look at emerging markets and telco and other industries, they just leapfrogged a whole generation. So they don't have the same legacy as that we might have in 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 US or Europe. Uh, how does how does that play out then in terms of as you're as you are building out your solution and saying okay, we're building this for th- these markets. How does it play out in terms of reimbursement? In terms of you know other things that you just can't learn. You, you like it's just local, so. There's a lot of things to unpack in there, uh, but let me, <laughs> let me go one by one, right? Like 10, uh, 20 questions. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think um, uh, if I had to disconnect healthcare, the healthcare ecosystem from the patient, the user, yeah. I think that the one that is leapfrogging everything is the patient and the user. 
um, everyone else is catching up. So, you know, you will have, and there are examples of that in any industry, whether it's fintech, health tech, yeah. um, you know, um, transportation tech, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the user that's actually doing yeah. the leapfrog, yeah. right? So uh, was, I mentioned this earlier, but in India, you have um, a, you know, 30, 40 million credit and debit cards. You have, you know, close to now half a billion uh, digital wallets. Yeah, and you have to recognize that. And yeah. in that recognition is that, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the consumer, the user at the center of this and an entire, um, you know, change in the ecosystem as a result. So mm-hmm. um, like everyone has leap, like leapfrogged um, different parts of, uh, of, of different industries, you're seeing the beginnings of that in healthcare, where the demand from the patient is for more than today healthcare 1.0 provides. Yeah. And the beautiful part about um, out-of-pocket markets is that there is power with the patient, with yes. the user yeah. of an unimaginable nature than it is in markets where it's payer-driven. So while in, in, in markets like India uh, with payer penetration sub 5% in, in so say in, in private healthcare, you have this incredible void where healthcare is actually being paid out of pocket by a patient and it will remain so for a few years to come. And in that journey, the patient demands an experience. The patient demands connectivity. The patient demands access um, to things which uh, today regulation doesn't even have you yeah. know, ready yeah. for. Uh, but that's not going to change patient demand. Of course. Uh, and if it were a market where everything was reimbursed, sure, it would take its own journey, uh, but that's not. And therefore, we're seeing, and this is not limited to India, we're seeing this too in emerging markets and a lot of Asian markets where um, there's a transformational shift happening. I don't even think the payer reimbursement journey will take the same pathway right. uh, that, like it did in, in other markets because by the time the payer catches up, uh, whether the payer is the government or the, or the insurer, you're going to find uh, the demand and the, and the level of healthcare and what healthcare is uh, to, to a, a patient to be very different uh, than healthcare it is today. So what, we, what we're noticing, therefore, for a company like us is that uh, patient adoption is actually going to be faster in markets yeah. like India, markets like Thailand, Indonesia, Malaysia, China, uh, Vietnam, um, than it is going to be, say, um, in, you know, say, traditional Western Europe. Yeah. Um, uh, that means um, the pathway to build a digital therapeutic, what is a digital therapeutic, how it gets reimbursed, how it gets distributed, how it gets discovered, how it gets mm. accessed is going to be very different. Of yeah. course. The core will remain the same, which is I, the patient still demands that I get healthier, but uh, how that product then integrates with the rest of the healthcare ecosystem is going to be something that I'm eagerly awaiting to see. Well, the Bible, it it is. The Bible doesn't even exist, but it's even harder. You have to recreate a a different one. But which is why I think, while I know people might challenge that there's lack of regulation in in a market like India, I think the benefit is that they've scaled things that the West is still attempting to do, right? Like e-pharmacy and all of that. I'll, I'll give you a straight example. Uh, where would a WhatsApp pilot even be allowed? And it's so simple because yeah. at the end of the day, <laughs> when you have 
access, affordability, people don't even have basic, you know, um, healthcare covered. Chronic disease is such a rampant problem yeah. that you have a ecosystem that is open to innovation because yeah. right now there are no Im- incumbents which are solving anything, yeah. Yeah. right? So, which is beautiful. It's just that it, yeah. it, uh, it's also, you know, a, a, a catch 22. You have to be a company that truly cares, that puts in the world-class standards that are necessary because, you know, when there's no governance or no regulation, it's also a dangerous place to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not Notwithstanding, if there ever was a place to build uh, the next evolution of healthcare, I'm pretty glad that there are opportunities in emerging markets to to try the unknown. That's great. Yeah. And so, so pilot was successful. You saw the demand. You started to build your MVP, and then you went back to your VC friends and you raised a little bit of money. To yeah. Then go and start to really go after it. Correct. Well, there was a gap in between. Uh, was being a VC offered that one, uh, I guess, additional. let's call it bias, which is that uh, VCs in emerging markets invest in growth capital, not in R&D capital. That's right. right. Uh, Which means that if you take capital too early in a business where fundamentally you are about improving patient outcomes, then in the quest to make your investors happy, you may deviate from your uh, let's say, you know, your, your core vision. Um, And we were very clear that it was about first making scalable or at least making patient outcomes happen and then figuring out ways to monetize but in that sequence right uh step one was a two and a half year journey for us and that journey required um you know that 100 percent devotion if you will to not thinking about growth but thinking about uh core you know experience yeah, and outcomes yeah. yeah and that meant not raising capital actually so we spent uh the first uh, two and a bit years without sort of VC money and then we uh, timelines are hazy but somewhere around then when we knew that we were we would need one cycle before which we would start commercializing that's when we raised a seed round uh, but yeah it took um, that little bit of knowing what the animal as a as a shareholder needed because yeah, yeah. You, if you're raising capital, it is your fiduciary responsibility to generate value and to have alignment from day one as to what that capital is going to be used for. And the minute you go to a growth uh, VC, even if it's a seed stage uh, VC, and say that, hey, we're going to use your capital and you're not going to see $1 of revenue, um, that's not something that an emerging market VC is going to appreciate. <laughs> yeah. No way. Actually, no, no VC, right? Everybody it, wants uh, to see depends. I think it depends. the dollars. You, you have R&D capital. I think yeah. there is, uh, as a, to be honest, uh, there is a lot out there. It's just that not so much in, uh, which is which is something I would love to change over the next decade in, in markets like India, mm-hmm. uh, because you have just incredible R&D units which just don't end up scaling because right, they, right. You, you, it it's R&D requires that kind of time and yeah. attention. Yeah. And you just, it's not always easy. So tomorrow we're going to get a chance to talk about a little bit more about where the company's going and the other areas that you're, you're getting into. I think that'll be yeah. fascinating. Wanted to kind of change a little bit now and just kind of talk about well, if if you weren't in this world, if you were to go and do something completely different, this is a question. We yeah, this is our favorite people. question yeah, yeah. that we ask every single guest. Yeah. So if you were not sitting here today as Abhishek from Wealthy, what would you be doing? Uh, as a as a business or as a, a, either as a, whatever way you want to oh <laughs> if I if I could do it I'd be diving all the time like I've, I, I I've started over the last five six years loving underwater di- scuba diving we go I try to go once a year if okay. not more than once a year uh, I would I would live on a boat and figure <laughs> like that uh, sounds pretty say. good yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and then to pay for it what would you do uh, interesting question uh, um, uh, invest trade 
um, you know, do do things that would allow me to sit out out of a boat and, okay. and, and <laughs> actually follow that uh, passion. Yeah, yeah. You actually don't need much money to do that, right? I was watching this fascinating thing about this old man in Indonesia who used to go diving and use spears to um, hunt fish, or uh, and that's it. Like he yeah, lives in a it. tiny little shack. Uh, on the ocean and he just jumps right in without a suit nothing so wow i guess it's possible mm-hmm. yeah um, i'm not sure whether i want to leave that for me. <laughs> yeah yeah uh, but in, yeah somewhere in between somewhere in between <laughs> yeah yeah well Brilliant. it's been wonderful having you i know we could go on for ages yeah. talking loads about wealthy but we're looking forward to your presentation tomorrow at uh, the health excel global gathering here in dublin thanks so much for joining us no and thank you for having me here so it was it was always a pleasure great thanks thanks, thanks a lot